Hello, and welcome to the Trial Lawyer Podcast. My name is Gabriel White, and today we have the privilege of speaking with Representative Craig Hall, who represents a part of West Valley City in the Utah Legislature. And um, we're going to get a lot of information from him about what it's like to be an attorney and a legislature and how to balance the conflicts and difficulties that come as part of that process while uh, still serving constituents and uh, your clients as an attorney. So very excited. want to also thank all of you who have been uh, subscribing to the podcast. I think we're up to on a monthly basis of close to 700 subscribers, so we're very excited about that. Thank you all for listening, and please enjoy this interview with Representative Craig Hall. Okay, I am here with Craig Hall, Representative Craig Hall, excuse me, um, who represents a segment of West Valley. It's District... District 33. District 33. Very excited to have him here on the Trial Lawyer Podcast. Um, Craig, just want to ask you some questions about... Um, you know, what it is like to live the life that some consider a myth um, there, being a lawyer, practicing, and uh, in the legislature. And you're, you're no longer in private practice, correct? That's right. That's correct. Now, previously, you were um, in IP, was it? Yeah, so I'll, I'll just give you a little bit of background on my history. So I... Uh, Attended Utah State for undergrad and then went to Baylor Law School in Texas. And when I went to Texas for law school, I thought I was going to immediately return back to Utah right after law school. I um, applied for and got a, a, a federal clerkship position in Beaumont, Texas, which is the Eastern District of Texas. Uh, great experience as a law clerk to one of the federal judges in Beaumont. And then um, I got together with a firm in Beaumont, Texas, and did litigation from, I guess it was, about 2000 to 2006, and did all litigation during that time. It was a great experience. Beaumont and, and the Eastern District of Texas is kind of known as a plaintiff-friendly uh, jurisdiction and so there were lots of lawsuits that were filed there and I was mostly on the defense side uh, but uh, it was a great experience got lots of good trial experience good lawyers good mentors uh, we had a great time my wife and I um, we had three kids in Beaumont and then in 2006 we moved back to Utah and uh, I initially started working for the city of West Jordan. I was doing all of their civil litigation stuff, so instead of hiring outside counsel, they um, put together an in-house spot, and I was fortunate enough to get that spot. And so I was there uh, at the city of West Jordan doing civil litigation whenever we were sued or needed to sue. That's what I would do. I was there for a couple of years and then went and did litigation with Workman and Neidegger, which is a great um, intellectual property law firm in uh, downtown Salt Lake. And um, the connection there is actually when I was in Beaumont, Texas, 
Workman Neidegger had hired our our law firm as local counsel, and so I knew the guys over at uh, Workman. And one of these and, big, massive patent right cases. Exactly. In, in uh, fact, we had um, um, it was a it was a lawsuit that uh, uh, yeah we were seeking. Boy, this has been. 10, 12 years ago, so I'm a little vague on the details, but we were... Um, Nine, ten figures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was a, it was a big case, and it was a big deal, and we got a, a pretty, neat, uh, pretty nice uh, jury verdict, and it went on appeal forever and ever. But uh, anyway, so yeah, I ended up at Workman Neidegger and was there um, until... I think it was 2013, and now I trend. I uh, work at uh, Intermountain Healthcare. And now tell me, tell me a little bit about that transition. I mean, what what caused you to want to change from you know the trial practice to in house? I remember talking to you about what you were doing at Workman in the IP litigation at one point and you were explaining to me how you spent a lot of your time like writing briefs about the definitions of specific words which I I didn't think would be something that whatever I mean I know attorneys often disagree about the definition of words but I never know that there would be specific briefing about it that you'd have to go through. Yeah, I, I mean, in the intellectual property world, so, for example, an inventor would go to the patent office with an idea and they would submit their patent application and in order to receive protection from the patent and trademark office, um, your idea has to be put down on paper on a patent application and that was your invention, and and if you were granted a patent, then you would you would receive the protection that was in the patent, and so there are patent claims, uh, sometimes one through forty five, and those are individual inventions. And as you can imagine, um, an invent uh, somebody else comes along and decides, hey, this is a great idea, and the patent holder says, hey, wait, that's my idea. It's protected by my patent. And and the other guy would say, no, it's not. And the patent holder would say, yes, it is. And these are the reasons why I think it is. And the other guy is, no, it's not. These are the reasons why I think it's not. And so um, a, a judge would have to decide. And, and with those patent cases, it's... A lot of times, it's a make or break. It's a bet the company kind of lawsuit, and so it seems like with patent litigation, every case is seven, eight, nine figure case, and will really make or break the company. And pretty intense. And and the clients are willing to you know spend the money to to make sure that they prevail or get a favorable settlement. So. Yeah, it was uh, it was a it was great experience again. Um, I was doing litigation. Um, I'm not a registered patent attorney, but uh, there are lots of patent trademark litigators who are not registered patent attorneys. Um, in order to go before the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office and to acquire a patent, you do have to have a a uh, 
you, you do have to be a registered patent attorney. But uh, so yeah, it was great experience. Uh, I spent um, I guess it was about five years, a little over five years at Workman and Eidegger, and um, good lawyers, good people, and good mentors. And it was it was tough. So about that time, um, sometime. I guess it was in 2012, early 2012, I got this idea in my head that I wanted to run for office. I grew up in West Valley, and when we moved back to Utah, I, we moved back to West Valley. In fact, I, my, when we moved from Texas to Utah, my parents were coincidentally selling their house and so I ended up, we ended up buying my parents' house. So I'm, we're raising our four kids in the same house that I grew up in. My wow. kids are going to the same schools that I went to. So, uh, you know, we have plenty of Sounds good like a good background and, for politics in the area. Yeah, and well, I, I certainly had roots. I, you know, I've now I've lived in West Valley for 30 years and just wanted to keep West Valley a place where people want to live, where people want to go to school, where people want to raise a family. And that was kind of my motivation in, in running. And and uh, it was when I, I, I looked out at the landscape and saw that um, the person who held the seat at the time was the longest serving member of the House of Representatives in the entire state. He had over 20 years of, of uh, tenure. Oh wow! <laughs> and I decided to throw my hat in the ring, and so yeah, I uh, I you know talked with as many people as I could to get some advice, and decided to to pull the trigger, and of course talked to my my employer at the time. Um, so, and I'm guessing that the intensity, I mean. It, of, of that kind of litigation and the time constraints of being a legislature probably didn't go together that well. Yeah, it was it was it was a challenge, and so um, I think I you know came up with this idea like in January of 2012, approached my employer and said, "Hey, I have this idea in my head. What do you think?" I'd be um, the the uh, election would be in November of 2012, and if I happened to win, what would we do? How would we arrange, you know, the the schedule? Uh, so it was, you know, we came up with something like, you know, well, we could lower your billable hours, which also means that we you would bring in less money, which also means you would make less money, and, and that's fair, you know, if you're, and, you know, I, I don't know if you want to get into this now, but, uh, you know, the legislative session is 45 days. Mm-hmm. It's not a, it's not a full-time job. But during those 45 days, from what I've heard, it's, it's pretty much a overtime job. That, I mean, that's you're, right. You're running, you know, it's like... Another uh, attorney legislator that I've talked to uh, described it like being in trial for 45 days, like, you know, 16, 18 hour days and people calling you at all hours, getting emails all the time. 
Yeah, that's that's a good description. It, it is very intense during the 45 days. So I think the state constitution says that we begin the uh, fourth Monday in January and we go for 45 calendar days. And I'm told, I think this is right, but I, I'm told that the reason it's in January to mid-March is because back when they made the state constitution, they wanted to allow the the farmers in central and southern Utah to be able to, uh, to, to, be able to yeah, yeah, to be able to, uh, they needed to be done before they needed to plant. So uh, that's just never changed. And so it's, it's a part-time legislature. It's not a full-time job. I think that, uh, that there is a, some confusion throughout the state that, uh, uh, people think, voters think, that uh, when you win an election for the state legislature that this is your new job, that this is your full-time gig. And um, But the reality is that, you know, I think my... Uh, there There is a... Uh, there is a, a, a salary during the session, but uh, I think my W-2 was around 12500 for... Oh yeah, all of two thousand. All of two thousand sixteen. That'll make mortgage, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it's uh, it, it's certainly not uh, a, a job that you can rely on to you know feed the kids and pay the mortgage. So, so you started working in house. Yeah. So um, I, I, let me go back a little bit. Sure. I, I remember when I was thinking about running. I I um, went to a CLE taught by Greg Bell. Greg Bell was the lieutenant governor at the time. Greg Bell's history, and you know, he's a lawyer, and he, I think it was uh, Curtin McConkie that he used to be at, and he said during the CLE, he said, you know, working during, uh, being a legislator and being at a place where you bill by the hour is extraordinarily difficult. And I heard that, and I'm like, eh, you know, I can do it. I, it's, it's fine. You know, I'm, I, I, I can manage my time. I, I feel like I have, you know, a good understanding with my employer that if I win, I think things will work out well. And uh, so I ended up winning in November of 2012 and started my first session in January of 2013. Uh, went through the 45-day session. Uh, in 2013, did it again in 2014, and um, and indeed, I found it extraordinarily difficult to bill by the hour and to be a legislator because although it is a 45-day session and and you're pretty much you know 100% well 98 95% out of the office during that time, you're not billing. You're not able to um, to pay attention to clients like like you should. So it takes a lot of cooperation from the from the from the law firm, from your coworkers, and um, it's just it's just really challenging. And so um, I thought, you know, if I could find something in house, that would be the perfect situation. And Anyway, I started looking around. You know, the legal market in Salt Lake is is a challenge. Can be a challenge. There, we have too many lawyers in in Salt Lake and Utah as a whole. But um, I ended up at Intermountain Healthcare in the in-house legal department. 
So tell me about that issue. I mean, obviously, as you go through the legislative session, there are going to be, I mean, Intermountain Healthcare is the largest healthcare provider in the state of Utah. Fair? I think that's, that's correct. All right. Yeah. I mean, by, by a fairly wide margin. And so how do you go about managing the, I mean, it would seem, you know, I guess it would depend on your committee appointments and what kind of issues you work on, but it would seem like issues that would be important to IHC would come up a lot. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you, you l- let me answer that question by starting with, you know, we hear a lot about, um, you know, legislators and how they may or may not have conflicts of interest. And the reality is, since we have a part-time legislature, every single legislator has to have some, is going to have some conflict of interest, That's correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, I think that we, or I, acknowledge that every legislator has a conflict of interest. For example, I have four kids in public schools. Every time I vote for more money to go to public schools system, that's arguably a conflict of interest. Right. Yeah, but I mean, I, I mean, let me push back a sure. little bit on that. Sure. I mean, to a certain extent, you, that's true with with most legislators. But right. you know, there are, you got to admit there are some differences between an issue that comes up like more money to public schools mm-hmm. and that benefits your kids, versus an issue where you know potentially you're going to get you know. After you hold a vote on something, you're going to get called into the board's office and say, "Hey, why the heck did you vote that way?" Right. You know that's not what we want to do. Or you're going to get visits from lobbyists. From, I mean, IHC has has lobbyists. I assume like every other large corporate interest in in the state of Utah has lobbyists or, or has paid lobbyists up on the hill. You're going to get visits from their lobbyists, and obviously, you know that these are people who are coming to you on behalf of your employer. Right. So how does that get met? I mean, so, is there a process where you say, hey, this issue, I'm out? Or Right, right. So so again, acknowledge that every legislator has 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 a, a conflict of interest with respect to some type of issue. And, and that's just a function of the fact that we have a part-time legislature. Now, there are 50 states... All 50 states kind of do it different. Some, for example, California, they have a full-time legislature. Uh, When they win an election, that becomes their full-time job. They have a full-time salary. They have a full-time staff. Um, That's what they do. Um, And and, and their, their legislative session is 365 days. They don't have, you know, a certain set number of days. So here in Utah, we have decided that we're going to have a part-time legislature. So every person in the legislature has uh, a job uh, or to support sure. their own family. I mean, that's, I think, one of the beauties of, of our legislative system is that we have, you know, we have teachers that are legislators. We have doctors that are full-time legislators. We have ranchers that are full-time legislators. Is there... Is there any sort of like a, I mean, I, I, and I'm asking this because I'm just not familiar with how this works. Right. I mean, you're right. These kind of the conflicts of different 
levels of intensity, I guess it would be the best way to say it, uh, are going to come up often. Is there a um, any rule or reporting procedure where you know if somebody says, "Hey, this you know has is going has the potential to have a substantial financial impact on me or my employer," where you you have to notify someone or or I mean, because if it comes up, if it if it comes up that often, because everybody has a different job, you would assume that there would be some sort of rule or process right. or something so the public could be aware. Right. So one thing that um, the uh, the I, I guess you can call it a a protection is um, so. For example, we have we're required to submit a conflict of interest form. Okay. And we have to put that together annually, or if it changes substantially during the t- uh, during the year, then we have to change it. Is so, for like example, those, is, uh, is that like those fi- the, like the campaign financial disclosures that people have to do uh, when they're running for public office? Those kind of things, like a, a form you have to file by a certain date. And- that's right. So when a so for example, when a when a candidate files for office, I think the form is. Fairly limited. It just, you know, I think it has, you know, it has a name. It has the address. It has. I don't remember on the on the form to file for office whether it makes you list your your employer um, during the campaign. Of course, you do have to disclose every contribution and every expense on the lieutenant governor's website, which is available for for the public to see. Sure. Uh, so when you win you are required to file a formal conflict of interest form. And it's available on the website. So if you go to le.utah.gov, there is a conflict of interest sheet for every legislator. And on that conflict of interest sheet, it has the name, the address, who you work for. It makes you list uh, what board you're on, if you're on any board of directors. Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. For, if for practicing lawyers who are representing, I mean, obviously you have one client. Right. Uh, for, for practicing lawyers that are representing, you know, multiple clients, does it require them to list just the law firm they work for, or does it require them to list their substantial clients? Or It requires them just to list the law firm that they work for. And, but that has been a discussion. That has been a conversation. Because that seems like right. that could be a huge issue right. if somebody had a major. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, if, if somebody rep- was representing, you know, uh, a, a major, uh, you know, a landowner in some part of the state, and there was a water law issue that was coming up before... Um, if you just knew the name of the law firm, you might not right. know that, hey, if this bill passes, this attorney will, his client, you know, is going to reward him with X amount in business or whatever. Um, right. And, and let me let me keep going with respect to one question that you asked a little bit earlier sure. in that, uh, so... What happens when an individual works for a certain company and a bill comes up that affects that particular company? Yeah. So first of all, it is illegal to condition employment upon votes, which is obviously that seems that seems yeah that's it, that seems pretty straightforward. And let me let me share you an experience that I had when I started with Intermountain Healthcare. So the general counsel who has been with Intermountain Healthcare for 30 years or so. He's the general counsel now. In my first week of employment with Intermountain Healthcare, he came and sat me down and said, look, 
Hall. Um, there, there are going to be bills that affect Intermountain Healthcare, but we do not want you to vote for Intermountain Healthcare. We want you to vote for your constituents. And you may vote yes or you may vote no, but we don't care. And frankly, you know, for a bill to pass in the House of Representatives, there are 75 members of the House. Mm-hmm. And in order for a bill to pass, you need 38 votes to pass. And he said, Hall, if, you, if, if our bill, if we can't get 38 votes without your vote, our bill sucks anyway. <laughs> so I appreciated that. Um, and every time I see our general counsel, he reminds me of that. Vote for your constituents. Vote for your constituents. And we actually have, I think we have 35,000 employees at Intermountain Healthcare now. Mm-hmm. And there, I, there are... Uh, three um, legislators that are employed by Intermountain Healthcare, and we have split our votes on healthcare votes all the time. You know, I think that it's good, and they think that it's bad, or I think that the idea is bad, and they think that it's good. And so, um, I would say that I, I'm ex- really fortunate in that I absolutely do not get any pressure from Intermountain Healthcare to vote a certain way. First of all, it's illegal to do that. Second of all, they remind me continuously to vote uh, for what's best for my constituents. Now, having said that, I, I have seen instances where where maybe employers aren't so good at that. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it, it seems like at least in the last five years or so, Utah, right. not so much the legislature, but more in the uh, certain arms of the executive branch have had a little trouble keeping the conflicts of, uh, of interest in check. I mean, is there, a, is there a level at which, I mean, is there a rule that says, look, if, if this is a bill that, that has such a high amount of, or, or, or so directly affects you, uh, that you have to recuse yourself from, from voting on it, or is it just, and is, is that spell out, or is it just left to the individual conscience of the member? So we actually have a rule in both the House and the Senate that if you are on the floor of the House or on the floor of the Senate, you have to vote. You are not allowed to abstain from voting. So... W- I guess the overall philosophy is we make the individual, we make the legislators declare their conflicts pursuant to their conflict, on the, on conflict the of interest form. And I will say that uh, we also have a rule that if an individual speaks for or against a bill on the floor of the House and they have a conflict of interest, they're required to verbally remind the body of the of the conflict of interest so um now the purpose behind the rule not allowing anyone to abstain that seems i mean maybe that's common i don't i i 
not uh, I don't pretend to be an expert on state legislatures, but that seems that seems odd. So I th- there has been a good discussion about changing that rule. The argument against changing the rule is that it's a very slippery slope because at, um, you could have, I, I guess in the spectrum of conflict of interest, there's something that direct, or directly affects you very significantly. And there, on the other side of the spectrum, there's you know maybe a conflict of interest where you're providing more money for public schools than you have four kids that are in public school. That's a very minor, minor conflict yeah. of interest. Um, the argument towards not changing the rule is that if somebody wants to avoid a politically difficult vote... They can just they, not be there. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. They could say, oh... I don't want to... I'm going to bathroom for a few minutes. Exactly. In their mind, they could say, I don't want to vote on this bill. This is a very hot topic bill. I want to avoid the, the criticism that I will get, whether I vote yes or no. And so, therefore, I'm going to declare that I have a conflict of interest. Yeah. I mean, it, seem, it seems like it would be more transparent rather than saying, you know, if you don't want to vote, you know, make time your bathroom break the right time right to just allow people to say hey i have a conflict i don't feel like i can be impartial on this so i'm gonna abstain Mm -hmm. and there's there's uh i think it's a decent conversation to have um as far as maybe changing that rule Uh, i i don't you know i i think that you know it's kind of the same thing with respect to uh um to campaign contributions, you know, if there's one argument where somebody can say, hey, look, just let them um, disclose everything, make them disclose everything, and let the voters decide if there's a problem. Mm-hmm. So I am extraordinarily sensitive to these conflict of interest accusations. There are, sometimes there are legislators who, who may sponsor a bill and you think to yourself, oh, that's kind of close to home for that legislator. Mm-hmm. And some may say, well, he's, or she is sponsoring that bill because they have an expertise in that area. They know the area very well. Um, others will say, well, he or she may have a conflict of interest. So what I have chosen as a, as a personal practice is, although I am required to vote on any and all bills that come before me, and I have voted for and against bills that Intermountain may may like or not like. But uh, I have decided, just as personal practice, I don't sponsor bills that deal with the healthcare world. I, I just don't. And I think that that's the, the better practice. And so um, um, I... It seems like a good way of staying kind of staying out of it, you know, avoiding... 
Yeah, I I think that uh, I think that's better, at least for me. And you know, look, there are 104 legislators in the state of Utah, and every one of them is very smart and 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 passionate and determined, and they all have their personal philosophies, and and it may work for them, whatever they choose to do with respect to sponsoring bills or not sponsoring bills or voting the way that they vote or not. But uh, uh, yeah, so my personal practice is to not sponsor any bills that deal with the healthcare world. Tell me, um, tell me a little bit about, I mean, what do you like the most about being in the legislature? I love my neighborhood and my neighbors and it's just an honor representing West Valley up at the state legislature like I said before you know I want to keep West Valley a place where where people want to live where people want to send their kids to school where where folks want to raise their family and I just love living and representing West Valley I love talking to my neighbors I, about issues that come up. I love trying to solve problems that they come across. Um, I also very much enjoy, you know, it's, it's kind of like, a, it, it's, it's, it's really, um, it, it's sort of like going to trial. You know, it's really, it, it's a lot of work. It's, there's a, a lot of thrill during the 45 days. All of us have our individual bills that we try to get passed. And it's it's fun to be part of the to, to be part of the process. It's really it, it's a it's a fun thing. It's a it's a I enjoy it. Uh, every year I learn more about the process. It's 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 valuable. I think as a as an attorney, I have really enjoyed seeing the other side. I see how this, the uh, sausage is made with respect to bills and how words get put into the code book, which uh, is revealing at times. <laughs> and uh, the back and forth with my colleagues, uh, negotiating, compromising, um, listening to constituents, the... Um, trying to figure out motivations of of other legislators and figuring out things uh, on why they may support or not support certain things. It's just a, it, and you know we have like I said, 104 legislators, and there are some amazing people, and I don't agree with all of them all the time. In fact, most of the time. Um, maybe on, on some of the bills, but uh, there are some wonderful, wonderful people that are legislators. And now we'll just have a quick word from our sponsor. Unfortunately, most lawyers are never available when you need them. Many of them don't put your interests first. The lawyers at White & Garner do things differently. We take each case very seriously. We will always put your interests first. We represent people who have been injured in accidents. We also handle commercial litigation cases. Other law firms assign your case to a paralegal or secretary and put that person in charge of managing your case. 
Getting your actual attorney on the phone can be a nightmare, no matter how important your case. At our firm, every case is important, and every client gets our full attention. We only take cases that we are comfortable taking all the way to a jury trial. Every move we make helps us better prepare your case for trial. To get the best results at trial, you need a lawyer that is paying attention and that is not afraid of a jury. You need the lawyers at White & Garner. Each client of White & Garner has access to their attorney at any time, any day of the week. You can talk directly to your attorney about your case at any time, day or night. If we do miss your call, we will get back to you within 24 hours. If you hire a lawyer from White & Garner, we will be there for you when you need us. That is our promise, and we keep our promises. The thing that I have really recognized is, and uh, come to appreciate is somebody may have a, an idea that I don't agree with, um, but I understand why that legislator is sponsoring that bill, because it helps their, their folks. Mm-hmm. And maybe I think that their idea is crazy. But you know what? The, 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 they're representing their neighbors, and, and uh, even if they do something that I think is crazy, um, their, their, their constituents vote them in again, which means that... The, that their constituents are crazy. Well, uh, <laughs> they're, they're, and you know, cr- the, the word crazy is... By it, the transit it, it, of property. <laughs> the, the, the word crazy is very... Um, uh, you know, not an objective word, it's, uh, <laughs> but uh, um, they let... care about things that 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 may be different, and yeah. and that is the great thing about our democracy is that uh, you know the the sixteen blocks by thirty blocks that I represent, I rep- we all represent in the house about thirty eight thousand people, and my people are different than the folks in Utah County. Mm. For example, I have, um, I represent Granger High School. Granger High School is in the middle of my legislative district and Granger High School uh, has about, I think the latest numbers are about 65 to 70% minority. Mm-hmm. So um, when my redheaded 16 year old goes to Granger High School and he's on the he's on the soccer team, for example, he's He's in the minority, and uh, we love that about West Valley. We love that about Granger High School, and but but this and and it's a Title One school. Uh, we have, there's a lot of um, a lot of families that are living in poverty, uh, who send their kids to Granger High School, and the challenges that they have at Granger High School are just they're different than they are at. Lone Peak High School. They're just different. And the challenges are different. I mean, for example, we have kids at Granger High School right now who six months ago were living in a tent in Ghana. Wow. Uh, as, as refugees. That's amazing. And they come in as a, as a 15-year-old not speaking any English and what do we do in the state? You know, because they're 15 years old, we put them in 10th grade or 9th grade, and we expect them to learn and expect the teachers to teach. 
and uh, it's 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 a very diverse, beautiful community that we live in in West Valley, which was very different when I was growing up, you know, 30 years ago, in the same area. But uh, it's it's really you know I love visiting the schools. I love visiting with the teachers. I love visiting the di- the. I mean, we have a beautiful mosque in West Valley that I've gotten to know um, the folks from. Um, especially over some some uh, stuff that's been going on with over the last couple of months, and so, anyways, my point with all of that is that uh, I have I've come to appreciate why different legislators throughout different areas of the state care about different things, and you know, the guys from Central Utah, for example, they care deeply about water. That's just an issue that that their constituents care a lot about. That's yeah. that they care a lot about making sure that their cattle have enough water and 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 their their crops have enough water. Well let me go ask let me go back and ask sure. you about something a, a little bit different direction. So do, what do you think that the Utah I mean how how is the Utah legislature involved in addressing uh, refugee issues because those are those are kind of obviously on the national level kind of a hot issue right now and um, I think that at least from what I've seen Utah has a different approach um, or at least a, a different feeling about it than a lot of other states that that uh, you know a lot of other red states for lack of a better term. How, how is the Utah legislature addressing that issue? So again, since we have 104 different legislators throughout the state, uh, there are 104 different opinions on this issue. And they range from, you know, from maybe one extreme to the other. Um, so when you say the legislature, that's kind of a hard question to... Well, answer. I mean, the legislature passes bills, so right? Is the legis are the legislature is the legislature going to, um, you know, do anything specific to, you know, pass bills to as a body to assist, you know, with refugees coming to the state of Utah to encourage uh, the government to send more refugees to the state of Utah and to build programs, or is there a lot of resistance to that, or what's what's the general feeling that you get out of the group? So I think that, you know, this issue has probably reached um, a, uh, you know, it's it's certainly become more of a hot issue over the last year, right, Um, through the last presidential election. Um, And at least in the session of 2017, which went from January to mid-March, we were kind of a hand, we were kind of hands off on that issue. We didn't really address. I think deliberately did not address because we do have a lot of refugee communities. I mean, my yes, my kids goes to a school up, uh, on the uh, on the east side of the valley, and you know they have a large Somali community that is that is at the school and kids trying to you know yeah. learn English and get by and you know learn what snow is like for the first time right um 
you know, uh, does as I mean, you said the legislature has been hands off on this issue. Do you think this is an important issue for them to deal with in the future? So I think that uh, we have done a, a, in my opinion, the state has done a decent job in being a little more welcoming to the refugee community than in some of the other red states, like you mentioned, and. I think that that's a good thing. I think that there, I mean, we are a country of, of, of immigrants. All of us, if we go back far enough, can find ancestors who well, came especially here. in this state, right? I mean, Absolutely. Right. I mean, with our pioneer heritage, we, you know, we better than most um, communities should understand the the plight of those trying to flee of, of people driven out of right. their homelands to <laughs> exactly. try and find a new place to live exactly right? absolutely and so i i want utah to be a welcoming place i want utah to be a, a, an area where people want to come where they feel welcome and i'm grateful to be able to live in a community in west valley that uh, that welcomes those those individuals and accommodates and 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 yeah, I think that uh, the state would do well in 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 helping those individuals who are who are truly um, wanting to leave a horrible situation. I think we would do well to to welcome those individual individuals to assist them in in transitioning to. Uh, a better life here in in Utah, and and frankly, you, you know this 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 immigrant is, the, the the refugee issue is is really more of a federal issue, and so that's kind of why the I think the state legislature has kind of steered away. I mean, we don't put uh, we don't put uh, border checks up at you know the border of Utah. That's um, true. And we um, you know anybody who wants to come to Utah. Um, they can pass through Arizona. They can pass through Colorado. They're they're welcome to come, and we do have communities that uh, help those individuals transition into a new life. and And it's it's just neat to um, to see someone succeed uh, who left a, a truly horrible situation. And it's you know we have to recognize that it's a it, it's. A, it's a new life they that they have never experienced before. You know, this may be the first time that in their life that they've had an oven, or a washing machine, or uh, you know, reliable clean water. Exactly. So, um, you know, our high school, for example, I, I think, if I remember correctly, I think the principal uh, said that they have. Um, 35 different primary languages at Granger wow. High School, right? Meaning that when those kids go home, they speak that different language in their home. And if you were to ask me right now to write down 35 different languages, I'm not sure I could even <laughs> uh, list, list, the, 35, list yeah. 35 different languages. But oh, there, oh, there will be a test section oh, okay. at the end of this. Okay. Right. Yeah. But uh, so... Anyway, I mean, this, that's, you know, again, what goes back to your earlier question of what motivated you to, to, to run for office. I 
have always been interested in politics and have always kind of kept my eye open for opportunities and saw this opportunity in 2012 and care deeply about West Valley and making sure that um, that West Valley is is well represented up at up at the state capitol and, and another thing is a lot of folks don't realize that West Valley is the the second largest city in the state and you know we need good strong representation from from West Valley so that when uh, issues affecting West Valley come up that uh, some someone will raise their hand and say hey this impacts West Valley disproportionately or or you know what about you know this area and so so that that's kind of what motivated me and um it it's uh it like like we said earlier it is a challenge it's very time consuming just not during the 45 days but you know constituents of course can email you can call you any day of the year any time of the day um you know, sometimes a constituent calls me at 2.30 on Wednesday afternoon. And, you know, sometimes they think that I'm at the Capitol just, you know, <laughs> working um, on my legislature job. But, you know, I'm in my office at Intermountain Healthcare and uh, either need to call them back or... So it's a, it's a, it really is an... You're on the call. You're on call all the time, twenty-four-seven, three-sixty-five, and uh, and in the house we have two-year terms, so we're running. I've already, you know, I've been You're constantly in, running for re-election. I've been in the legislature since you know my first day of, in office was January one of two thousand thirteen. It's now april of 2017 so i've been in just a little over four years i've gone through five sessions but i've i've had three elections already mm-hmm. i've been in for four years and i've had three elections yeah so you're constantly so, running for office so we're constantly running for office and you know i i guess that's the way the uh, founders meant it to be because it, got my respect i i don't think i could pull that off and be constantly running for office and and my um my district is a little unique in the state in that uh you know there are areas in the state where the republican will always win mm-hmm. right no matter what it doesn't matter how great the democrat candidate is the republican will so always it's win the, the mirror test right as long as he's got right. he's got an r r behind his name and you put a mirror under his nose and it fogs up then right. he's gonna win right yeah so whoever wins the republican nomination is gonna win the race and that's usually where the fight is in utah county for example is who wins the republican nomination now there are other areas of the state believe it or not where a Democrat will always win. Oh, yeah. No, it's this area we're sitting in right now yeah. is one of those areas. So sure. downtown, out by the airport, the University of Utah, there is a, there is a patch of Salt Lake County where, where the Democrat will always, always win. And That's again... Probably, the, probably if you, on a population basis, 
almost a, 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 if not a majority, close to a majority of the population of the state live in those areas, right? Well, yeah. I, I mean, in, in, in Salt Lake County, you know, like I said, the geographic areas that are really, really strong Democrat are the University of Utah area, the avenues, downtown, the Rose Park area, out by the airport. That, kind, that band, geographical band right there, and, and, you know, you creep up on the east side of Salt Lake County, Conwood Heights is represented by a Democrat. Um, so is that uh, Brian uh, King's district? Um, I can't remember exactly the geographical area where Brian King is at, but he's, yeah, in that, in that yeah, geographical yeah. band. So, again, it doesn't matter how good the Republican candidate is, the Democrat will always, always win. And so, but there are a few areas in the state, especially in Salt Lake County, where a Democrat could win or a Republican could win. It's like Mm 50-50. And and I'm in one of those areas. You're stuck in one of those areas where you got to fight every single time. Right, and not only do I have to, you know, um, put effort into winning a Republican nomination, but I've got to put a lot of effort and time and resources into um, winning in, in November. And so it, I, I bring all, that, all of that up is that it is, you know, you as a lawyer, especially one who is billing by the hour, it takes a lot of time to do this. A lot of chutzpah. And a lot of effort, and you got to make your case to to the constituents every every two years. If they don't like what you're doing, they'll vote you out. Um, so you you know you've got to uh, do some things that your constituents think are important. You have to um, provide some results. You have to if you've been in there for a while, you have to show them what you've done. You have to um, uh, market yourself in a way that uh, gets the message out to your to your voters um, in an effort to win again if you want to uh, win re-election. And so it takes a lot of effort, and um, I understand now much better what Lieutenant Governor Bell said <laughs> at that CLE where he said, you know, it's just really crazy difficult to to um, be a practicing lawyer, um, billing by the hour, and be on call 24-7, 365 to your constituents. That, uh, and, and, you know, the, the, sometimes I have neighbors who, you know, call me up tr- trying to fix anything, everything. You know, hey, my neighbor's dog is barking. Can't you fix this? Can't you do Paul? something about this? <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> or uh, you, I you voted know. for you because I wanted access so you could deal with my issues, and this dog is being loud. That's right. Yeah. Or yeah. the my my garbage didn't get picked up, and you know yeah. I'll, I'll say, well, that's the city, you know. Oh, but part of it is, um, you know, listening, um, providing solutions. Um, getting 
if if somebody needs to sit down with the mayor, I can make that happen. That kind of stuff. And so, yeah, it's 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 been it's really an honor representing my constituents up at the state capitol, and uh, and just it's it's been wonderful for uh, for for my for my family. Uh, I, we try to involve my my kids, for example, in the campaigns, and um, so that they feel invested in in because you know. I, if all they, if all my kids see is me being gone at the Capitol and they don't understand why I'm doing it or how much effort it took to get there, it, there might just be a resentment by the kids for Dad being gone all the time and why is he at the Capitol again? Uh, so we try to involve our kids in the campaign and and we've loved doing that and it's been it's been a wonderful wonderful experience and and uh, it's. You know, some days up at the Capitol are are uh, mundane and routine, but there are other days when I just kind of pinch myself and say, "Wow, this is this is pretty cool. I, I really enjoy doing this, and and uh, really enjoy you know fighting for my constituents and making sure their voices are heard." Thank you so much for listening to the Trial Lawyer Podcast. Um, we're really appreciative of everyone who tunes in. Um, we'd ask that you take a moment and go to iTunes and subscribe uh, with the link that's on our website. Also, we want to thank Representative Craig Hall for giving us his time to explain what it's like to be an attorney and a legislator. And uh, we hope you'll tune in next week to hear uh, more of the Trial Lawyer Podcast. Thank you.